0: I ask you to give your attention once again to the reading of God's Word. I'll be preaching from Psalm 63 this morning. Notice that the Bibles that are mostly in your seats are ESV, but I'm going to read and preach from the New King James Version. Uh, That's uh, um, no particular reason except that that's what I usually read and preach from, and so that's where my mind, the language and the vocabulary of that are are in my mind today. So listen as I read Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your love and kindness is better than life my lips shall praise you thus I will bless you while I live I will lift up my hands in your name my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips when I remember you on my bed I meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Today is June 25th, that means we are basically one half way through the year 2023. Perhaps now would be a time to review your New Year's resolutions and see how you are doing. How many of them have lasted these six months? How many of them lasted the first week of the year? We kind of chuckle over that, don't we, because New Year's resolutions have become something of a punchline in our society, something to be made, uh, wishful thinking, only to be broken, maybe in the early hours of the year. But the practice of making resolutions is a good thing. It expresses convictions that are important to you. It speaks of those things that you are setting out to do by God's grace. The New England pastor, Jonathan Edwards, had a list of 70 resolutions for his life. In Psalm 63, David expresses his resolution to seek the Lord with his whole heart. It's a resolution that today I'm going to exhort for you to follow as well. Before I get to that, though, I want to read one of Jonathan Edwards' resolutions that will help you to understand that we make these resting on the grace of God. There is a tendency for us to to think of the Christian life as one that we pull ourselves along by our own bootstraps. That isn't the resolution of David. That isn't the resolution of a Christian. We are dependent on Christ for our salvation. And flowing out of that then are these resolutions to seek after him. So this is what Jonathan Edwards says. Resolve. Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help. I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will, for Christ's sake. So here today, this resolution, this exhortation that you would be resolved to seek the Lord with your whole heart. And following Edwards, I'm going to term these in the, uh, in the form of a resolution. So, following along in your outline you might see that it's uh it's it's, uh, it's praised this way resolved to seek the lord earnestly by faithfully gathering for worship this is the first aspect of david's resolution to seek the lord with his whole heart to seek the lord earnestly by faithfully gathering for worship listen again to verses 1 and 2 O God, you are my God, early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. I want you to look back in your Bibles to see the title of this song. You'll see that that David wrote this in a time that he was in the wilderness of Judah. That means that this was a period of his life when he was a fugitive. He was running, being hunted like an animal by King Saul and his special forces. And he was was literally fearing for his life. Saul was not going out to invite him to come over for Sunday lunch. He was hunting to kill him. And if you read the rest of the psalm, if you read the psalm in that light, it really is remarkable that David, in these dire circumstances, would direct his heart, would shape his desires by not the circumstances of of Saul hunting him, but by his desire to belong to God to know him and to be known by him. And so out of this wilderness experience comes an intense longing for God. And so David stirs up his faith through these resolutions. And I'm going to use that phrase uh, several times throughout the sermon today, the idea of stirring up your faith because this is a deliberate uh, purposeful action of David to change his uh, his heart to focus his attention on what God had done for him so what David does first is that he remembers the sweet fellowship that he has previously enjoyed with God he describes it here as going to the sanctuary in other words David longed to go to church now surely Church was different in David's day than it is for us and we could go on to study the, uh, the tabernacle that would have been David's church. But in essence, uh, David's experience is, is what our experience is today. It is to gather in the presence of a holy God to worship him. And David says that he longs for this. He longs to go to church and to worship God. I want you to notice how much David wanted this. Early will I seek for you, says David. This is not something to be put off till later. If you have time to do it, you know how those kind of things are. Those kind of things that you say, well, I've uh, uh, I've had other busy things that I needed to do, and I didn't get to the worship of the holy God. Even <laughs> saying it that way sounds preposterous, doesn't it? And yet, when you don't want to go to church, in a sense, that's what you're saying. Early will I seek for you. I get up early today because this is the day I meet my God in worship. Can you sense David's resolution here? The intensity of his desire that is shaping his soul and how he is is intentionally also, in kind of a circle, shaping his desires and his soul for that very thing. My soul thirsts for you, he says. This is not something that you hold your nose and swallow down. I wonder if any of the kids, when your mom gives you vegetables, you say, oh, ma, do I have to? Yeah, you gotta, you got to eat that and so Maybe you put it in your mouth, and you go like this, and get water, maybe you approach coming to you, uh, uh, David, and, and we long for worship as much as our body thirsts for the life-giving water. Physically, we need water, and we thirst for it, and that's David's expression here, I right? thirst the living God so I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and glory isn't this what worship is about to see God's power and glory to hear a proclamation again that your sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ to gather here to say to the Lord you are my God You are the one who has redeemed me. You are the only desire that I have here on this earth. And to hear in response God renewing this covenant with us. Yes, surely I will forgive your sins for the sake of Jesus Christ. I will cover your shame and wipe away your iniquity by the blood of the Lamb. Oh, how I want that says David. Oh, how I want that, says Bruce. Oh, how I want that is what I'm urging you to desire as well. And remember that this is David in the wilderness stirring up his heart in desire for these things. It is an earnest desire and he acts on that desire by going to God. By going to worship. And it's even more than that. I uh, I would have you see here how he shapes his desire about going to worship. And he shapes his desire by going to worship. And he shapes his desire prior to going to worship. By telling himself how good, how great it is, how necessary it is and how he longs for it. And I pray that these words would stir up your heart as well. That you would recognize how the almighty God, the almighty God has invited you to come to him and worship. And not only has he invited you, but he has made the way so that you can come into his presence. He's made that way through. Sending his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins. You've gotten the greatest invitation in the world. You may be thrilled to get an invitation to high places, but this is is the highest of all. May that invitation thrill you week by week by week. Be resolved then to earnestly seek the Lord by faithfully gathering to worship. And I would also caution you about those things that will distract you. They will distract you ultimately from Christ himself. And it could be illustrated by answering the question, why do you come to church? There are a variety of answers for that. When I was a boy, I enjoyed seeing my friends. That's why I went to church. In Stillwater, we have a fellowship lunch after, after the service. You can smell the food cooking. And, and sometimes uh, there's a, a delight in, in the meal that is prepared. You know, it's good to fellowship with fellow believers, but that's not ultimate. The real reason to come to worship is to come into the presence of our God and Savior. There are other things that distract ones that aren't so nice to think about or to talk about. Perhaps you have come here to see or to be. Perhaps the sweetness of the fellowship of the body of Christ has been soured by conflict. And you're here to rally others to your cause to talk about that person that offended you. That's not why we come to church. If you spend your energy and emotion thinking about those conflicts, thinking about how to get even, how to avoid, how to navigate these, uh, they are difficult relationships. If you spend your energy that way, you will miss the greatness of God. Your eyes will not be lifted up here to our Savior, they will be furtively looking at all of those around you. Once again, I say, be resolved to seek the Lord by faithfully gathering for worship. Secondly, verses 3 through 6, be resolved to praise God in all circumstances by meditating on his loving kindness. Once more, I want you to hear these words and think of them in this context. Because your love and kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. If you you didn't catch it, these are verses that are full of the loving kindness of God. They're full of expressions of how great and good God has been to us. The blessings that we have received from him. But wait, let me remind you of the setting of this psalm. What was the title of this? David wrote this. He was hiding in the wilderness from King. Was hunted like an animal and he's meditating on God's goods, even here. Yes, even here, particularly here, he is deliberately turning his mind to the goodness of God and his loving kindness. And here, David's words are penetrating to. the the experience of, of the Christian life. His resolution to focus on God and to praise him under these circumstances are actually shaping the way he views those circumstances rather than the other way around. You know what the other way around is? By letting your circumstances shape your view of your relationship with God. In other words, when you go through the trials of this life, when you experience the griefs, the anxieties, the trials, the the temptation is to let those circumstances inform you about what God is like. And you come to think of him as distant or silent or disapproving. But that's not what David has done. And that's all what God is like. And so he starts with what God is like, and that informs his view of his circumstances. And these verses convict me that when I go through trials of this life and the anxiety that rises up, I'm convicted that I have longed for the wrong thing. Trouble. I've longed for peace and quiet. I wanted relief from the pain. I wanted to be delivered from anxiety, or, or just to be to rest because I'm so tired. Imagine you've all gone through days, months like that. They are real emotions. They are. are it, it is life. David doesn't minimize that but what he does is he puts those in their proper perspective. God is of first importance. God is our first love. And that doesn't change if you are in a wilderness. It never will. No matter where you are, God will always be God. And his character is unchanging. And his love for you will never fail. And so even in the wilderness, David says, your love and kindness is better than life. So I will praise you. I will bless you. I will lift my hands in praise to worship your great name. You see what he's doing is he's schooling himself in the midst of his wilderness experience. It's a resolution. There is resolve that he is expressing to love the Lord, even in this difficult circumstance. And he does this by deliberately meditating on the loving kindness of God. He goes on to say that his soul will be satisfied with God. And he uses a phrase here that... um, Pro- probably makes our skin crawl a little bit. We'll be satisfied with marrow and fatness. Uh, we're all about getting the fat out of our diet these days. But for David, fatness was a, a sign of bounty. It was something that was uh, was enjoyed and given to the guests as a highest honor. They were given the, the fatness of, of the meat. Don't let it turn your stomach. Uh, Recognize it in its context as a sign of, of feasting with the Lord, and more particularly of satisfaction in him, of eating and dining with the with the one that you desire most. And how does he practice his satisfaction? By meditating on God's loving kindness. Do you know that you could practice satisfaction? Think about that. You can. You can practice satisfaction. And in this case, he does it by by turning his mind again away from those circumstances to say, I remember how God has shown his love to me. And that's what I choose to think about. Here again, he stirs up his faith in the wilderness. He stirs up his believing. He stirs up his faith as the spiritual discipline praising God, and he practices it. Even in the darkness of the night and in the oppression of trouble, David remembers God on his bed at night and meditates on him in his night watches. And and you know why David mentions this? I I, I think probably you've experienced this. I, I know this is mine. But it's at night, at the end of the day, when the worries of the day catch up with me. And my mind can't stop worrying and going round and round about that trouble that I am in. And my breathing rate increases and my blood pressure goes up. I can feel it. Even as I'm lying in bed and I can't turn my mind in the night watches the promises of God and of his loving kindness. I'm not a perfect example of this. I I wish I were better at catching this earlier in the night, but it has been my practice. As I noticed the blood pressure and the anxiety rise, to turn my mind deliberately, and just to be very practical, I found the Psalms to be tender and appropriate in doing this. And this is not just because I'm RP, but uh, there's something about the psalms that are so useful. And and I even use the the metrical, the, the tunes and the words because it helps me remember them. And so what I turn to in my mind are several psalms that are my companions. I use them at other times of the day. I use them to battle against sin in my life. I use them to express my repentance and my dependence upon God. The Psalms and really the God of the Psalms occupy my mind with the things of God, with his love and his kindness, rather than the things that make me anxious. I urge you to be proactive in this as well and to practice such resolve that in all circumstances you'll praise the Lord by meditating on his loving kindness. Thirdly, in verses 7 through 11, resolve to base your expectations on God's promises by remembering his help in times past. In each of these three resolutions, I hope you notice a pattern here. There is a resolution that's expressed, and then there's a way to put it into practice. So in this one, I'm resolving to base my expectations on on God's promises by remembering his help in times past. Once more, I just want you to hear this and think of it in, in those terms. Because you have been my help, Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go down to the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. These... Verses express expectation. David is looking towards the future. He's, he's hopeful. He's wondering how this will all turn out. But that expectation is then framed in the, in the language of resolution as well. And he bases that resolution on what God has done in, his, in the past. It's just a really beautiful thing that David does, isn't it? He remembers. He remembers what God has done before. Since God has helped me in the past, I will hope for what he will do in the future. Since God has delivered me from from the giant Goliath, I believe that he will deliver me today. Since he led me out from the oppression of King Saul, I believe that he will deliver me once more. Since he has promised that he has work for me to do as the king of Israel, somehow that must happen. As he remembers those promises and the goodnesses of God, it then helps him to shape his expectations for the future how important this is in every age, is it not? The worries of this world can destroy our ambition, can destroy our resolve, can destroy our ability to love our family, our spouse, our children, to work faithfully in the callings that God has given to us. We are afraid. What's around the corner, but David says, You have been my help, and so I'll take shelter in your wings now, I hope you know that God doesn't have wings, not literal wings, right God is a spirit and does not have a body. What is David talking about? What is his poetry so, uh, uh, you, you gotta gotta go with poetry uh, David is uh, is eliciting the comfort that happens when a mother hen gathers her chicks to protect them under her wing. And there is that comfort that comes through. I think I think David has something more in mind. He's already spoken of a sanctuary. Remember where the wings are in the sanctuary? They're the wings of the cherubim that are stretched out over the mercy seat the mercy seat where the blood of the lamb was sprinkled for the remission of sin. And he says, I will shelter under the – it's significant then to hear David say, I will take comfort and base my expectations on what God does in Jesus Christ for us. And it makes sense that David would have this emphasis as he – long to be in, the, in the, the presence of God in public worship. But it also makes sense in the circumstance of trial. The common element of suffering is that there is a seed or a, a thread of doubts that comes in, especially if there's suffering that is chronic. that just goes on and on and on. And there are dark nights of the soul when you begin to think, Perhaps I deserve this suffering because of my sin. Perhaps God has finally gotten fed up with me. And there's a certain agony that comes in the midst of that. Because guilt and self-recrimination rise higher and higher, almost to drown you. So what do you do? Shelter the wings of God and the mercy that he has given in Jesus Christ, be assured of the forgiveness of your sin that is, by the way, proclaimed in the public worship of God that David is longing for, coming to church to hear. which is why David would go on to say, my soul follows close behind you, your right hand upholds me. What's more, you get a sense of David's earnest faith, his resolution. It reminds me of the disciples at this point. When Jesus was teaching and began to say hard things, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and the people were like, "Uh, what's up with that? And they deserted him. Jesus said to his disciples, you, you know what they said? You have the words of life. It's that earnest resolution that comes through David's. And it's the earnestness that I hope that you hear in my exhortation to you to find this similar desire. Where else can I go? You have the words of life. You are my savior and, my and now and and only now in verses nine and ten does David bring up his enemies. And I find that significant. Remember again, he's in the wilderness, Saul is hunting for his life, there are other imprecatory psalms that are, are focused on that, but in this case, David doesn't speak about his enemies until now, after schooling and shaping his mind, his heart, stirring up his faith to believe in the promises of God, remembering his past goodness, then he says, so here's my situation Now. My enemy is oppressing me. And only now does he speak of that oppression. And I want you to notice that it isn't in the voice of revenge or of vindictiveness. It is permeated with his continued confidence in the Lord. A musical illustration might be helpful here. In a, a, Think of the soundtrack to The Lord of the Rings. And think of, of how there are really powerful, glorious themes of the music that come through that are, are speaking of of hope and of deliverance in the midst of the of the darkness. And the composer wove that in throughout the entirety of his score. So there are times, even in the darkest portions of the movie and the music is kind of beating down upon you, there is this echo, and you can hear the phrase of hope that comes through. And so here's David in the midst of being hunted, and the theme of the music that that dominates his heart and his mind is of God's goodness of his love, of his kindness to of his promise to forgive. And that flavors then what he says here about the very real dangerous oppression that he was facing. He knew that the Lord had promised that he would be king. It sure didn't look like it this point. But David would not despair. He didn't know how it would be, but he trusted that it would be. God had work for him to do. So David closes by saying, but the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory, but the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. What you notice here that as a prophet of God, David not only expected the Lord to prevail over his enemies, but here he also foretold it. the spirit of God enabled David to Say, your enemies will fall. He didn't know when or how but they would fall and God's anointed king would arise. In a specific context that would be David. the larger context and the words by his spirit in the gospel through David foreshadowing Jesus Christ, David the king would rise to the throne. And as a prophet, he proclaims that the one who has been promised from of old, the one who would come to crush the head of the serpent, would truly come. And that all of the foreshadowing of the kings of the Old Testament would be caught up in the one true king, our Lord Jesus Christ, who must reign until he brings all enemies underneath his feet who came to deliver you from the domain of darkness and from the power of this world and of Satan. Jesus, our great king, has come and is even now ruling. Jesus is the one who sought the Lord with his whole heart, earnestly in public worship, in private devotion, Jesus is the embodiment of the love and kindness of God, whose love for us is better than life. Jesus himself based his expectations for the future on the Father's faithfulness. And so he set his face towards Jerusalem, full of joy at what God would accomplish there knowing full well the agony that the cost was that secured. Brothers and sisters, pray that by God's grace that you would follow this resolution to seek the Lord with your whole heart. Seek him earnestly by faithfully gathering for worship. Seek to praise God in all circumstances by meditating on his kindness. Resolve yourself to base your expectation on God's promises by remembering his help in times. Oh Lord, our God, we all go through wilderness experiences. And I am aware, oh Lord, that there may be many here today that feel like that's where they are right now. But oh God, remind us of who you are. I pray, Lord, that you might uh, might, uh, lift us up in the midst of that affliction to to recognize that you never change, that your promises never change. In light of David's experience and in light of David's words, I pray that you would would help us to stir up our faith by your grace. I pray that we would stir up our faith to to, to this resolution to long for you, our living God. May that, Lord, then shape us, help us through those desert days and nights. Lord, in in the midst of that affliction, I pray that we would remember our, our Savior and our King, Jesus Christ, who has suffered like we have suffered and has suffered on our behalf so that we, in turn, may be delivered from death and from the fear of death and from the power and the penalty of sin, and that we may follow after you wholeheartedly. Oh, God, oh, God, we want this. Your Spirit, may you stir that up in us. In Jesus' name, amen.